Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're continuing our deep dive into ice cream with some spicy peanut butter ice cream with some interesting origins. We'll also share some of our recommendations for your summer reading list in the Preheated Book Club, and we'll review the agave sweetened chocolate ice cream from last week's episode. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, it's summertime, finally, and one of my favorite things about summertime is reading. I usually always just get a huge stack of books and pile them up by my bedside and plow through them during the summer. Um, So we thought we would start this episode with a trip back to the Preheated Book Club. It had been a while since we have had one of our book groups. And I wanted to start by asking you if you are familiar with Little Free Libraries. I am familiar with Little Free Libraries. We have quite a few here in Olympia, and I think they are adorable. Why why don't you tell our listeners about them in case other people aren't aware of them? Yeah, so if you're not sure what a Little Free Library is, it's, I believe, an international um, movement. It's just a way to share books, and they are these little hutches that you can make kind of any design you like. And then folks here in Seattle uh, put them in their um, parking strip, which is the strip of grass that's between our street and our sidewalk. And then it's kind of take a book, leave a book type of thing. So I, we regularly do this. We are constantly giving books away that we no longer want or we have read. And then you can find amazing books. And And one of the things I love about them is the same thing I love about going to like a used bookstore or a thrift store is you never know what you're going to find. And mm-hmm. one thing that I recently found was a Christmas cookie book. And it is oh. called... Um, it's by Rose Levy Bierenbaum. And does oh, that, does that name? Oh, yes. yes. The Cake Bible. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So she is very well known for the Cake Bible, which is actually an early influencer on Martha Stewart. And this is her Christmas cookies book. It's called Rose's Christmas Cookies. And I loved it. I took that several months ago and, and read it through. And a book that caught my eye that she referenced in that was called Growing Up on the Chocolate Diet by Laura Brody. And (laughs) say more. I had to stop and say, wait a second. I'm not used to titles that use both the word chocolate and diet in the same sentence. Absolutely. So she had a variation. Rose had a variation on a recipe of... um, of Laura's from this chocolate diet book. So I thought, I got to figure out what, like, I just can't stop thinking about growing up on the chocolate diet. What is this? So I did a little investigating and it is a book that was published in the, in the 80s. It's out of print now. So I had to buy it. Um, I bought it on Amazon from a used bookstore and, um, it is a gr- it is a wonderful, very fun memoir um, about this woman who grew up in the fifties, and it is the best kind of memoir in my opinion because it has recipes all throughout it. So 
She talks about um, going to her favorite soda shop with her family or having a crush on the ice cream man, and then she'll sprinkle. Um, it's it's really charming. And um, Laura herself, I'm, I'm looking at the flyleaf, um, she uh, was co-founder of something called the Women's Culinary Guild, and she consults for the chocolate industry. I mean, is, it, is this job still available? Because... <laughs> Does Laura, does Laura perhaps need an assistant? Does, is the Women's Chocolate Guild still in, in uh, you know, whatever oh it's been gosh. 40 years later? Um, anyway, it's uh, it's a great book, and I'm about three quarters of the way through it now and um, have, of course, marked pretty much all of the recipes that she's talking about, too. So for people who love food, love to bake, love to, to cook food, love chocolate, um, this is this is great. Although Laura does, does point out that contrary to what the title might suggest, this is not a weight loss book, unfortunately. No. <laughs> well, it, that's – I always remind myself diet does not mean weight loss. Diet just exactly. means way of eating. So yep, I, I am exactly always on right. a diet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you could be on the chocolate diet. So, I love so yeah, it. that's one That's one a fun one that I'm going to be um, finishing up this summer. That sounds great. Well, I am um, – I probably shouldn't say I'm reading it. I'm more kind of cooking my way through it. A book I bought way back in January, but I've just been hauling it out recently, is by How to Bake – it's called How to Bake Everything by Mark Bittman. Oh, yeah, of course. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Mark Bittman and his cookbooks. So I um, grew up cooking from a cookbook called River Road Recipes. So mm. I say I would say in my teens and 20s, that was my number one book that I would reach for. It's a Louisiana community cookbook, and it had pretty simple recipes and a lot of regional items, and everyone that I knew cooked from it. So anytime I ask for a recipe, people would say, oh, it's in River Roads, you know. Okay. So um, at a certain point, I decided I needed to evolve into something that wasn't so Louisiana-centric and maybe a little more sophisticated. So I purchased, and this I remember this being a big deal for me, like, wow, I'm spending a lot of money on this cookbook, uh, the Silver Palette <laughs> oh, Cookbook. Sure. Oh, you yes. remember that love, one? Love. Yeah. We have that one. Yeah, I think everybody, you know, at a certain period of time, late 80s, early 90s, was, that was, was getting that cookbook. Yeah, exactly. That's a great one. So I think that was sort of my post-college, you mm-hmm. know, early 20s. And I really liked it. I mean, it had things, it, it's kind of interesting. Louisiana has a sophisticated food culture, but in a way, I think there are many things that came late to them. So for example, one of the appetizers in Silver Palette Cookbook was grapes that you hollowed out and stuffed with goat cheese and nuts. And first of all, let me tell you about the amount of work that is required. Are they somehow bigger grapes? I mean, a grape seems very tedious, very tiny. Tedious would have been the word. Um, I think at a certain point, I I kind of gave up on that. And I just took the goat cheese and rolled it in the nuts and the herbs and called it good. Mm. Um, Put the grapes on the side. Yeah. (laughs) But goat cheese was one of those things that I had never had before and Uh was really hard to get. So I spent a couple of years with that cookbook. Ultimately, it was a little too fancy for me Mm -hmm. for my, you know, everyday sort of um, cooking. And so I was kind of looking for a new cookbook. And that is when in 1998, Mark Bittman published How to Cook Everything. 
and I bought the hardcover. It was 2,000 recipes, and most of the recipes had six ingredients or less. Awesome. And so this is just my perfect way of cooking. So he he got me through probably the next 20 years with how to cook everything. It's still like the recipes I use for my pancakes, um, you know, beef stroganoff, kind of all my staples, you know, the, those weeknight staples he's so good at. And is that how that, that cookbook works? And it's just, you know, if you're saying like, I, I want to make a Caesar salad, like, can you just go there for just kind of whatever you need? Any yes. meal? Okay. Yes. You really can. And one thing he does really well is he'll give you kind of the base and then he'll give you all the variations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for example, he's not going to have, you know, um, let's say a, a bananas foster recipe and then a cherries jubilee recipe. And then, you know, he'll have a bananas foster recipe and then it'll say variations. Okay. You can also right. make this with this fruit and this alcohol or, you know, so he'll kind of do things that way. And I just, I just enjoy reading through it. There's very few pictures, which I've heard criticism from other people. That's why they don't like his recipes. But I, I get distracted by the pictures. And so I actually really like just reading through his books and reading his recipes. Yeah. And he, the, so I don't, I haven't read this one that you're talking about, although I know many people are such big fans, but I went through a period um, where I was into his cookbook, VB6, which is vegan before six, which is kind of a lifestyle that he's adopted. He eats vegan before dinner. And um, I just, I just adopted it as more of a way to eat more plant-based foods and to eat a little healthier. And I liked his writing style a lot. And he did the variations in that cookbook as well. Like he would say, here's a baked tofu. Here's how you make it like spicy Asian or Here's how right. you make it, you know, Greek or, or whatever it was. Yes, exactly. Well, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because that's kind of the period when I dumped him. So when oh, no. <laughs> he, he did How to Cook Everything in 1998. I was okay. using that book, using it, using it. The next one he did was How to Cook Everything Vegetarian. And I was oh, okay, kind of like, okay. uh, I don't know if I need 2,000 vegetarian recipes. I mean, I like my vegetables, but that felt like overkill. Right. And then I heard about VB6 and I didn't really look into it. I just assumed he was being sort of trendy. And that was a turnoff for me. It wasn't until um, I actually started listening or reading his his work again. And when I picked up how to bake everything and I I looked back into him because I thought, well, wait a minute, if he's vegetarian or vegan, how can he have a book about baking? And and then I realized that it was more about eating more whole foods, eating more plant-based foods. He's yes. a member of like the Union of Concerned Scientists. He's all about how, you know, the meat consumption is harming our planet. Yes. Um, which I mean, people could also say that's a trendy thing. But I felt a lot better about oh, this is why he's going that route, you know. Um, and so I was really comfortable picking up How to Bake Everything because I just, I knew he had a style that I liked and I yeah. knew um, he, he did things um, without the photos, the quick recipes, minimal ingredients. And in fact, that was the name of his New York Times column for years. It was called The Minimalist. Right, that's right. Um, he does have a new podcast out because, you know, these days everyone has a podcast out. It's called Get Bit and um, it's very explicit. So I'll give you that warning. But it's really interesting. He's got that great New York, New Jersey accent. And um, boy, it's a lot of fun to listen to. So, <laughs> All right. Well, if we're not, you know, salty enough for you, you can go over. <laughs> you can get your fix over yeah, on Get yeah. Fit. <laughs> 
Uh, there's only like two or three episodes out so far, but I, I've been having fun listening to that. Oh, that's nice. Great. Well, the other thing I love to do in the summer uh, associated with reading is just like you, Stefan, where you said you get that stack of books. Back when I was in school, I could not wait until our teachers gave us the summer reading list mm-hmm. at the end of the mm-hmm. summer. And I would just plow through it. I would usually be done, you know, in the first four to six weeks of the summer because I love to read so much. So now I do kind of my adult, you know, version of a summer reading list. And I do, I, I load up with books that are a little bit lighter, um, easier to put down if I'm, you know, laying out in the sun and have a sudden desire to take a nap or, you know, need to go and, and run after something. The dog just jumped in the water or something like right, that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite summer reading memory? Well, I so I'm the same as you. We had a thing at our library where you um, they challenged the kids to read. Yeah, I don't know what it was, you know, like ten books over the summer, and I would read like ten books in like ten days. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I was always I was always puzzled by like why is this a challenge again? <laughs> so I'm a very fast reader, and I just love to do it. And yeah. Um, I think for me, we would often go to my grandparents, um, my mom's parents' house in Michigan in the summers. And so Michigan summers are very different than Washington summers, very hot, very humid. And my grandparents had a hammock in their backyard. And um, my grandma's also um, just a, a passionate reader. And so she would pull out, she had, I still remember just baskets and baskets of paperbacks under her bed and she would pull them out we would kind of go through them together and see what was appropriate and then I would just take those out to the hammock and just read away the days and um read some like heaven yeah and just read some really great books and then we would kind of have like our mini like book club grandma and me you know so um while drinking it was very important to drink the um uh, what's the brand like the instant iced tea mix because yeah. Yeah. That's like the with the fake lemon. Touch sugar. Yeah. That has sugar. to go with this memory. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, my favorite summer reading memory, um, we used to go down to Destin in Florida a lot and, okay. you know, kind of those white sand beaches. And, you know, I, I would kind of, I'm like you, I'm a very fast reader. So, one thing that used to stress me out pre-Kindle days was, oh, my gosh, I'm going to run out of books on vacation. And how do I have enough room in my suitcase for yes. my books and yes. that kind of thing? So sure enough, I thought I had planned well, but I got on that vacation and I ran out of books. And so I was kind of like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't just sit here on the beach. And <laughs> my brother had a book, The Great Santini by uh-huh. Pat Conroy. Yep. Yep. And I remember looking at it and thinking, uh, this looks like a boy book, you know, Military Academy. I'm not really sure I want to read this, but I was desperate. So I read it. And if you haven't read Pat Conroy, I just think he has a beautiful writing style. So I immediately fell in love with this author. And in fact, I think I finished that book even before the vacation was over and made my mom take me to a bookstore in Florida so that I could get, you know, another book that he had written. Oh, yeah. Um, So Prince of Tides, Beach Music, you know, all of those. Um, Pat Conroy books are set usually in South Carolina or that area. And um, he often does mention food and those food and family and just good Southern writing, very evocative and so, so atmospheric. Yeah, his oh, books are so yeah. atmospheric. It yeah. was just so, so wonderful to discover a new author, someone that's, that I yes. wasn't expecting to like. That's yep. like that's one of my biggest excitements is is when I realize like here's someone that I like and they have multiple books and I haven't read any of them. Oh, it's the best <laughs> feeling, right? Yes. And then you get so excited, like, oh my gosh, they have they have twelve 
more and that's going to, you know, at least get me through the summer or I know that's a fantastic feeling. So So listeners, we'd love to know any books you're reading for the summer. Share your reading list with us and um, we'd love to hear what you like to read during the summertime. Absolutely. Well, we've got to move on from books and talk a little bit about baking. Uh, Stefan, last week we introduced the agave sweetened chocolate ice cream from David Leibovitz. So this is a chocolate ice cream that instead of using sugar, uses agave syrup. And it's a more traditional custard ice cream with, you know, five egg yolks and um, some heavy cream. Or was it whole milk? No, half and half. Yeah. Um, And then unsweetened chocolate and some cocoa powder. What did you think about it? So last episode in episode 30, when we reviewed our strawberry, roasted strawberry buttermilk, I said, um, you know, if this if this month continues in this vein, I'm going to be having a problem during swimsuit season. Um, <laughs> we have a problem. So <laughs> this warning, warning, warning is right. This I just say this is simply the best chocolate ice cream. Um I loved it. My children loved it. Um, I will say I had a few problems, but I was able to remedy them to get to really great success. So Mm -hmm. um, as Andrea mentioned, it is a fairly traditional custard ice cream. And as you may remember back during um, Puddings and Custards Month back in, uh, was that in April? It was, wasn't it? April or May? March. March. Yeah, gosh, so so long ago now. One thing that can happen fairly quickly when you are putting um, your warm milk, or in this case, half and half liquid, um, into your yolks is that you can get scrambled eggs. And I got scrambled eggs. And I I I tried to be careful, and I thought I was tempering it well, and I still got scrambled eggs. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it would be fine because um, a a step in step seven is you put everything in the blender. And I thought, you know what, I think that's going to take care of my problem here. Um, but before I got to that, um, my custard, and maybe this is because I had scrambled eggs, my custard never thickened. I boiled it and boiled it, and it just was not thickening. So I huh. added an additional two tablespoons of cornstarch. Not additional. I just added two tablespoons oh, okay. of cornstarch. Okay. And okay. I cooked it again, and it, it came to that pudding consistency pretty quickly. And then I just blitzed it in the blender again a second okay. time, and it worked great. I, you couldn't tell that I had scrambled my eggs. You couldn't tell I had added cornstarch. It was beautiful, and it was delicious. It was velvety smooth, just like with that roasted strawberry buttermilk ice cream. It had a chewy and very rich texture, mm-hmm. which I loved. Mm-hmm. It's dark, dark chocolatey brown. It really looks like chocolate ice cream should. You know, if I hadn't told someone, if I hadn't known this was made with agave, I would be hard-pressed to tell what sweetener it was. I didn't feel like that was an overwhelming flavor or really any flavor other than a sweet. Um, And uh, yeah, so ultimately I needed to be careful or more careful with uh, tempering those those uh, those yolks, and then perhaps that is why I had the problem with the thickening. But I was able to remedy that. So, well, that's yeah, interesting. Success. Yeah. So you and I had the exact same problem, and okay. it's funny because he he starts out the recipe saying that that since there's no sugar, it's going to cook more quickly. Okay. And then he said you can use a flame tamer, which I actually have a flame tamer, but I don't know why I didn't use it. Wait, what's um, a flame tamer? Oh, a flame tamer is a a cast iron disc that you put on top of your burner on a gas stove. I have that too. Okay. I didn't know the name of it. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
And so it, it, I mean, I have a simmer setting, but it lets you okay. go even lower. Okay. I, yes. I personally use my flame tamer a lot because I only have a simmer setting on one of my burners and I often have, you know, two things that need to simmer. So that's what I usually use it for. Um, but yeah, I did the same thing when I got to that step six um, and I added the, the half and half into the pan and the yolks. Um, I was whisking it constantly and it just almost immediately yes. thickened and turned to scrambled eggs. Yep. Like, Yes. Like within seconds. So yes. I thought, gosh, um, I don't even know what I could have done differently. But now that I'm looking at it, I thought, oh, I could have used my flame tamer and had a lower heat on there. Um, but I just poured it through the strainer yep. and sort of left, you know, the kind of the scrambly part and really pressed down on it. Yep. And um, I thought it turned out just fine. And like you said, I think if I had not told anyone it's agave and I didn't tell anyone I messed up on the um, custard part, no one would know. No, there was no indication that I had any troubles with this ice cream at the end. It tasted fantastic. Uh, it was, again, I note that I, I churned that for about 25 minutes. And this one did set up, we had talked last episode about homemade ice cream setting up very hard if they stay in the freezer for a length yeah. of time. And this one set up even harder, I would say, than the uh, buttermilk ice cream yes. did. Mm -hmm. And so you had I had it out on the counter for maybe almost like 10 minutes before I was like getting good scooping consistency. Yes, yes. Um, I agree. But again, it didn't, no ice crystals, nothing like that. It was just, it froze very solid. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about mix-ins, by the way? So far, our our ice creams that we've done, um, the strawberries in last week's ice cream were pureed and blended in. And this week with the chocolate, you know, there were no chunks or chips. Do you like to add those things into your ice cream or do you like just smooth ice cream? Yeah, I guess I'm not – I guess I, I can't take a strong stand either way. Some, some <laughs> ice creams I <laughs> – I'm going to walk You're the line. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds on this controversial mix and I love topic. them both. Um, I do because sometimes sometimes I really like like a mint chocolate chip. That's one of my favorite ice creams. Um, Me too. And, but, but I think in this ice cream particularly, the smooth texture really shone through. And that was really wonderful too. The mouthfeel on this ice cream, like the buttermilk ice cream, was, was just smooth and rich. And um, uh, yeah. But yeah. but I don't mind them. I mean, when they're there, they're fine too. I'm not sure I'd add them to this. Did you add some to this chocolate? I didn't, but I okay. was just thinking about it because I I do like to add mix-ins, and I I mm -hmm. think I thought about it when you said 25 minutes. So mm -hmm. I typically will keep my ice cream turning for 25 minutes, but at 20 minutes is when I put my if I am going to mix something in, that's when I put that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it did. I did kind of think about it for a second and thought, oh, I wonder if I should throw anything in. But I like you. I felt like this one was sort of so smooth and rich and decadent that. Um, um, I just felt like anything I added in would kind of take away from that smoothness. So, yeah, I thought the texture was really important here, too. So, oh, delightful. Yeah. Well, our recipe for next week is really different. It, <laughs> it is called Spicy Peanut Butter Ice Cream. And it comes from a website that might be a little bit surprising and might concern you when you're thinking about cooking. It's from the Soap Queen. Yeah. <laughs> When we so, were um, compiling recipes for this month and you said, now, just don't. Um. <laughs> I said, don't judge me. Don't I've got judge, a really good It's getting me from the soap queens. <laughs> well, you know, she knows how to cook and she knows how to follow a recipe. Now, normally she's doing it with lotions and bath fizzies. Um, but I had done a search for a... Uh, dairy-free ice cream. Mm, right. And that's how I turned this particular one up. And my husband loves spicy and he loves peanut butter. Yep. So I thought, well, this is just bringing it all together. 
And when you read her story about why she developed this, it was for her, I think, for her dad who needed um, dairy-free. Dairy-free, right. Yeah. And so um, very different. It will use cans of coconut milk Mm -hmm. instead of eggs or milk or cream or half and half. So, um, again, very few ingredients. It'll be coconut milk, peanut butter, cayenne, ginger. What am I missing? Uh, did you say dark brown sugar? There's oh, a little dark bit brown of sugar. Yep, yep, yep there yep. you go. So yeah. one, yeah, I um, I love peanut butter. I love coconut. Like all the flavors in here are are really great for me. I love ginger. Um, one thing is that I am opposed to natural peanut butter. So. What? <laughs> I <laughs> choosy moms choose Jeff, and that's what uh-huh. I'll be using. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what like you don't like it in terms of just eating it or the way it spreads or you have to like mix it up. No, I no. I I've really come around and in fact I really like natural almond butter. So, um no, I I I should I should d- dial back that statement a little bit. Um I am going to go ahead and use what's in my cupboard, which is smooth jiff. Okay. Yes. There we well, go. And then you might you might need. I, I'm not up on my Jeff, but um, I think Jeff might has a little have a little sugar in it. It is. I'm it not, is. Okay. It is sweetened. So I might taste this as I go and see how much of that dark brown sugar I need to add there. There you go. Um, this is not. Yeah. This is a very easy recipe. You're not really making a custard. You're just kind of heating everything together, waiting until that peanut butter melts down, and whisking around, and then um, cooling it down, and then uh, and then sticking it in your in your churn. So um, yes. I think this is. I'm I'm really intrigued by this one, Andrea. Yeah, I I also wanted to add, and I this applies to our other two recipes we've done as well. Is that if you're trying to control uh, calories and or fat, you can kind of mix it up on the uh, creaminess side. So, for example, this recipe does call for full fat coconut milk. But you can certainly use the light coconut milk as well. And same thing with um, David Leibovitz's chocolate. Uh, it uses half and half, but if you wanted to use some whole milk, you could, you know, you can you can always try a little bit lighter. I wouldn't substitute one for one, you know, so if a recipe called for, let's say, three cups of heavy cream, I wouldn't do three cups of whole milk. I, I would worry that that was losing too much of the fat. But if it called for, um, you know, three cups of heavy cream, I certainly think you could do a cup and a half of half and half and a cup and a half of whole milk. Yeah. And my only um, caveat there is when I have done like um, a a lower fat milk or like 1% or skim milk, and then we've been talking about when do those ice crystals develop. And that's when that's when I've had problems when the the lower fat of milk um, or dairy uh, will lead to that ice crystals, but you know, not like right away, certainly. And so um, and if that doesn't bother you, then and you would like the the calorie and fat um, reduction, then then yeah, experiment for sure. Yeah, if you if you know you're going to eat it right away, and I I only have whole milk in my refrigerator, so I've never gone down in the milk compartment as far as you yeah. know using yeah. a skim milk yeah. or, or that sort of thing. But there have been times where um, I just thought, wow, this is a lot of heavy cream. So instead of two cups of heavy cream, I'm going to you know mix it up a little bit. So you know what I thought that this spicy peanut butter ice cream might be good with too, and maybe I'll have time to experiment this way. Um, I like to make homemade ice cream sandwiches and um, with uh, peanut peanut did, butter cookies. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. you can make like with even like a chocolate cookie, just like a mm, yeah. I bet this ice cream would be really. Um, really good with with something like that too so oh, mm. anyway i just had that idea. thought yeah um yeah. 
one other thing to think about with this, if you are making it for kids, it does have cayenne pepper in it and, and a good amount of cayenne pepper. So feel free to back off on that if you feel like there's a, a little too much. It, it calls for a teaspoon, but you know you certainly could use half a teaspoon or quarter teaspoon or, or just eliminate it altogether if you didn't feel like it was going to be something your family liked. Yeah, I wonder if you could even sprinkle it on top. Would that be weird? Well, in her photo, she did. Okay. Um, I I don't know about – I mean, that at least would be a good warning for people. <laughs> you know, they there would see it. Yeah, instead of it kind of sneaking up on you. Because when it's just mixed in, you don't see it. And when you put the bite in your mouth, you don't taste it. It's almost not until the very end that you kind of taste That it gets it. you. I'm probably going to just follow it because I need to know just for my own – there's a lot of fat and there's a lot of um, sugar here. So I'm wondering yeah. if it tempers it out a little bit. And then you want it to be spicy too. Well, so. and I, I want the spicy. So I know I'm going to follow it if if not kick it up a notch. I mean – Right. <laughs> Two teaspoons for Andrea. (laughs) Can't can't wait to see what will happen next week. We'll let you know. So remember, we link all of our recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and we will post them on our Facebook group as well and on our Pinterest board. And we would love it if you guys cooked along with us to make some spicy peanut butter ice cream this week. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Mm -hmm. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we wrap up our month of ice cream with talking about ice cream cakes to put some of your newfound knowledge to good use. And we'll also discuss our favorite store-bought ice creams and frozen treats. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on Apple Podcast, formerly known as iTunes, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review, both of which will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.